If you have your Bibles with you, you will need them this morning. We are in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We are moving along. We're in chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. I am going to read the passage uh, to start as we normally do, and then I'm going to pray one more time as we dive into this remarkable, remarkable passage in the Gospel of Luke. Read with me, beginning in verse 25 of chapter 10, Luke writing and recording. He says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again. Thank you for this opportunity to sit under your word, the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this man, this lawyer, this story, this event that took place. Thank you for this beautiful and wonderful parable, this lesson that you gave to him and to us. Holy Spirit, I pray today. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray that the knowledge of what we find out today, that we hear from you today, will go from our heads to our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, um, There you have it. (laughs) Probably one of the most famous parables of Jesus ever. There there are a number that people go, oh, I love that parable, you know, the prodigal, I love that one. But this particular parable is, it's not only popular in the church, it's it's known all around the world, right? I mean, it's titled what in your Bibles? The Good Samaritan, right? That's what it's given as its title. And so along with really the Sermon on the Mount, I would suggest to you this parable has influenced the world, culture, in, in more ways than we can really count. I mean, in, in our world today, we, we actually have places by the name of Good Samaritan Hospitals, right? We have Good Samaritan uh, Inner City Ministries. We, we have Samaritan's Purse, 
right? The ministry of uh, the Graham, Billy Graham organization that uh, sends uh, hampers and, and baskets to children all over the world and shoeboxes, and it's called Samaritan's Purse. We, we also have on the nightly news, every once in a while, you'll, you'll see a story recorded of some person who, uh, with, at great cost to themselves, personal sacrifice, steps in and is a good Samaritan. Every once in a while, we, we see that. We have it happening in our news and in our world today. And so clearly, it's become somewhat of a universal idea uh, about this person called the Good Samaritan. And the truth is, the reality is, we know that. We, we think that way in our world today because of this story. This story alone. And that's how it's spread all over the world. It's a story between a lawyer and Jesus. It's a great and famous parable. And listen, I, I want to preface this message today by saying this. If all we end up doing today is leaving, having heard this parable preached, and feeling guilty, that we're not very good when it comes to being good Samaritans. If that's all that happens, we leave here feeling like, oh, man, I am a terrible Samaritan. I, I, I just don't live up to that. I feel guilty. I need to go and do this more often. I need to, tomorrow morning, go down to the east side of downtown Vancouver and, and go to a homeless person, and, and I need to give them the sweater off my back. I mean, if all we do is leave here today feeling guilty about that, we will miss what this story is actually all about. We will. And I know, believe me when I say this, that there have been many sermons preached on this by men and preachers who are far more qualified than I am. But I'm going to show you something today that I hope you will see is true about this passage that maybe you haven't seen before because it will be most important for us to see this. So for the past several weeks, we've learned, we've learned in the passage that Luke has been taking us through what good following looks like, what it looks like to truly follow Jesus on mission in Christian discipleship. And then a couple of weeks ago, we were in a passage just before this where we saw what good messaging looks like, right? Sends out the 72 on a short-term missions trip, and they're sent to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, cast out demons. And so we saw what good messaging looks like. And today, we're going to see what good neighboring looks like. I personally feel this is the most challenging of them all. So if you feel the last few weeks have been, or four to five weeks have been challenging in the Gospel of Luke, buckle up. Buckle up. Your sermon title for today is Good Neighboring. I hope to see three things. Number one, the call. Number two, the heart. Number three, the way. Let's deal with number one, the call. I'll put some verses back on screen. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Let's just stop right there. We'll get to the second part of that in a minute. You're going to remember that the 72 disciples were sent out on their short-term mission trip, right? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that. It was an awesome trip. They go out, and, and then they come back, and there's this report where they come back with incredible joy. And they're like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. You know, we're proclaiming about you, and people were believing in you, and they were like, they couldn't wait until you came to town because they wanted to hear your preaching. They wanted to meet you personally, and, and demons were like being cast out in, in your name, and it was just amazing to see the response of people, but also 
your spirit being poured out and, and demons like... And Jesus replies to them, and, and Jesus is also extremely excited, right? We saw that. He's, he's, he's really joyful for them that they got to be part of the mission. Their joy was coming out of that. But Jesus wants to remind them of something. And, and also, when they come back, it was very important. Just before this, Peter had declared that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they, they were in agreement with them. They come back, and they, they say this to them. They, they say, Lord, right? They, they pronounce him as Lord. Now, notice in the verse here, the lawyer just calls him teacher. There's a difference. But Jesus is really excited for them. But he says to them, you know what, guys? That's really good. It's, it's, it's good that you're feeling joy for that. I'm joyful for you too. I saw Satan just falling from the sky like lightning every time you proclaim my name and people were coming to faith. He said, it was amazing. He said, but there's something else that you should be more joyful about. And in a verse that in chapter 10 earlier, he said this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this alone, in verse 20. He said that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I mentioned at the time, I just can't imagine being there and, or at any time in my life, you know, other than the Holy Spirit affirming that to me in my, in my heart, in my mind, but having Jesus literally stand before you and point to you and say, Okay, listen, it's done. You're saved. You're in. Not because of anything you did, but because my Heavenly Father decided to write your name in heaven. And when He writes your name in heaven, it's done. Amen? It's there. Wouldn't you? I I just, I mean, if I was those guys, I'd be like, okay, let's go to heaven. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. But just to know that, right? So, so that's interesting. He, he says that you're, you're in, you're saved, and you will live, live eternally with your heavenly Father, not because of what you've done, because, and your names are in heaven. Then we read these words. Behold, right? A lawyer stood up to test him. Let's remember, like Luke is recording this. He wasn't there, so he had gone to some of the eyewitnesses. And I find it very interesting the way that Luke writes this, because it would appear that those who told Luke about what happened on this day had a certain impression of this lawyer, and it wasn't good. <laughs> it was, he seemed kind of prideful. You're going to test Jesus? <laughs> Go for it. Good luck with that is sort of what we're seeing. So he, he wants to test Jesus. So listen, we need to see the picture. We already know what kind of people had been following Jesus, had been following along, and, and were becoming his disciples, right? They, they weren't the, the, the rich. They weren't the spiritually elite, right? They weren't the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They, they weren't those people at all. They were people far, far down on the food chain. They were fishermen, tax collectors, the literal poor, women, heaven forbid, that's in that day, okay? That's not me. We're following Jesus. That's the type of people. And then this lawyer is like, well, okay, it's not people like the lawyer. And so this lawyer is kind of like, yeah, yeah. So it's like Jesus saying, yeah, you guys, you, you the, the, the lower on the food chain, the, the regular everybody, everybody, nobodies, you're my people. And this lawyer is kind of sitting there going, wait a second. What do I need to do? to inherit eternal life. I hope we can see that picture because he's, he's looking at these people. He's going, these people have their names written in heaven? 
Well, what about me? It's a fair question, but his attitude's kind of interesting. So this man is a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was growing up because when I was a kid, I was like, I watched Perry Mason because that'll tell you how old I am, black and white, right? This is my favorite lawyer on TV. You know, he always got the innocent guy off, and it was amazing how he did it. And then, of course, today there's TV shows like Suits, and, you know, I, I actually watch that show. I like it too. Uh, but it's not that kind of lawyer, okay? The, these lawyers uh, were actually in those days, these were the biblical scholars. So they would be comparable today to people who have MDivs. Uh, which in seminary terminology is Masters of Divinities, or for that matter, PhDs. These were the biblical scholars, and it was their job, it was their job, hear this, to defend the Word of God. That was their job within the Jewish faith, was to defend the Word of God and, and tell people exactly what it says, and then call people to obey it. That was their job. And so here you have this guy, he's standing up, and, and he's he's... He's wanting to test Jesus, and I think we need to see this picture here. He wants to use his intellect, his knowledge, not necessarily his biblical acumen and heart, to test Jesus. So this is, by the way, I would suggest the religious person's pattern. And when I say religious person, I'm not just talking about Christians or Jewish people and people who attend church. I'm talking about people who um, literally... Uh, are legalistic and, and, and people who rely on their intellect and their knowledge. In that day, in those days, they were called Gnostics, people who believed that more knowledge and more intellectual reasoning would, would be better for human flourishing. And I'm referring to those people who believe that their reasoning capabilities are more important than the Word of God. So we're going to see this very clearly on display with this guy. This use of intellect and human reasoning when we get to especially one of the lawyer's follow-up questions to Jesus. It's what lawyers do, what those who read the Word of God do when they ask, did God really mean it that way? We're going to see that in this guide today. I'm not making this up. It's right here in this text. So the lawyer asks his question, and Jesus Jesus' answer is perfect. By the way, if you're ever uh, in an apologetic situation and somebody asks you a question about the faith or about the Bible, what it says, Jesus' pattern in apologetics is awesome. Ask another question. Ask another question. And it's very revealing what Jesus says, right? He says this. He says, in response to this man's question, what is written in the law? And then these words are important. How do you read it? So he's answering a question with a question, but what he's doing is very clear. He's pointing the man to the Word of God. Not, not to just head knowledge, but to the Word of God, and, and let's let that be the judge in these matters. So that's where the answers to life and living, I would suggest, are. So now look, Jesus knows, he, Jesus knows clearly this man is an expert in the law. It's his job. And so when Jesus adds, how do you read it? I think this is revealing because I would suggest to you what Jesus is trying to get at here is not what's up here. He wants to move what this man has in his head 12 inches to his heart. Jesus is not trying to show this guy up. He's not trying to, this is not a debate where I look smarter than you in front of all of your religious people and in front of my disciples. No, he's looking at this one man and he's going, I, wanna, I want you to move what you know about the word of God to your heart because as far as I can tell, it hasn't yet. So that's, that's Jesus' motivation. 
He wants to know what is your motivation for asking this question. So it would appear in the text that this man has got the answer, right? He's very quick because the text simply says, and he answers, there we go. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So this is just so we know, this is like a synopsis. This is, this is a synopsis of the, the whole law. I mean, there's 613 Levitical laws and there's the Ten Commandments, right? And this is kind of like a summary of all of that. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul is the first of the four Ten Commandments and the last four about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy is just giving Jesus a summary and Jesus' response is basically awesome. <laughs> you nailed it. A plus. We're done here. Well, not exactly, right? Jesus says these important words. Just go and do it. Just go and do it. What the law says. And you're good. You're in. So I want you to imagine here at the moment, we're not there, but I just want you to imagine for a moment there's this pregnant pause. And the rule in these kind of situations is the next person to speak loses. <laughs> it's generally the way it happens. So honestly, I want, us to, I want you to think about this. Based on these two things, are you in? Am I in? I mean, based on those two things, are, are you in? Are you perfectly, every day, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? If you are, you should be standing up here. No, I'm not. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? So Jesus is, listen, based on this alone, which is written in the law, and Jesus is not lying, he's basically saying, if you are doing this, and again, if you are doing this perfectly, you're in. You're saved. Your names are written in heaven. Boom, sermon's done. Just go and do it. All will be good. Well, again, I asked already, how are you doing loving God with your all and your neighbor as yourselves? You know that God, by the way, added the words as yourself. And I know this is hard for some of us to hear, but the reality is every single one of you in this room, everyone watching, me included, we all love ourselves more than anybody else. Sometimes more than we should, which is the problem when it comes to loving others as we should. And that's why God puts it there. The, the reality is he knows we love ourselves and we should love ourselves appropriately. And so we're actually being challenged to love others in exactly the same way. That's the challenge that is put out there. And so, I, I don't know. If you and I were able to humbly admit we fall short of the command to love God and love others, how do you think this proud and well-educated lawyer felt? His response, I think, tells us everything. His response is this. And again, look at the words of Luke. <laughs> but desiring to justify himself. Again, the witnesses saw it this way. Because his words are, and who is my neighbor? Every time I read that, I'm like, okay, so Jesus, you probably understand that I do love the Lord my God with all my heart, body, mind, and soul perfectly. So we're not debating that, right? It doesn't even go there. 
He goes to the second half and asks this question, but I, I think when we read this, we could, we could sense that there's a crack opening a little bit here, right? Maybe he's a little bit like, whoa, this, this teacher guy here might know me a little better than I think he does. And so there might be a crack. Deep down, he knows that just maybe Jesus knows that even though he's read what is written in the law and he knows it well and he can, he can repeat it, he could probably repeat all 613 laws, Jesus probably knows it's all up here and that his heart is hard and that his heart is cold. And so he wants to justify himself. He wants to, quite frankly, make himself look good. So in addition, he now does exactly what, again, all the religious Pharisees did in that day. He turns the weightier issues, the weightier issues, the applicable aspect of any of the commands of any of the laws of God, the what we are supposed to do into a question, into a debate. Who is my neighbor? And this, this is what they all did with the law of God. They looked for ways to, listen, limit it, to put a cap on it, Right? It's a little bit like, like, like saying this to Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let's be reasonable with each other, right? I mean, can we just, like, be reasonable men, right? Surely you don't expect me to love this person, that person, people of that race, Samaritans, like I do my Jewish brothers and sisters, like I do my sons and daughters and my wife. Surely there's a limit to how far you expect this to go. Well, again, this is the hard part. I, I, I think this lesson is for us today, is it not? We all do this. I do this. We all do this. We set limits over most of the commands that Jesus gave to us. <laughs> Go and make disciples. Jesus, just a question. Like, you mean when I have more, more time, right? Because right now, you're like, I'm busy. I got a career. I, I, I got a mortgage to pay. I got kids to raise. Like, literally, Jesus, what you mean is you want, you want Glenn and missionaries to go overseas. You want, you want some of us in the body of Christ to, to, to go and make disciples, like, right? Like, really? Put a cap on it. Limit it, you know. What, that's too harsh? We do that. We put limits on the things that God has given to us. It's, it's a lot of it is about the who. You know, who, uh, uh, who really, God, do you expect me to... Are, are you really... Like, okay, listen, if it's my closest friends, like my, my guys I went to high school with or my good friends, people we did, you know, this with and that with, whatever it might be, like people are close to me, you know, like people in my own socioeconomic region and so forth, clearly you, you mean those people. You don't really literally mean the poor, do you? You don't literally mean the drug addicted and the alcoholic and, you know, and the homosexual. And do you? You don't literally mean that, do you? We limit these things. It's not only that kind of who. It's, it's a little bit like, well, just a second. I mean, I, I, I worked for three and a half years in the downtown east side of Vancouver at Union Gospel Mission one time. And, and you know, I had, my heart had to get a, a gut check a number of times. Because, you know, like you'll see people coming in and, and they go through the drug and alcohol program and then they fail and they go back on the street and you're like, okay, look, God, listen, I mean, how many times, how many times are we supposed to love that person? Seven, did you say 70 times seven to forgive? Look, that's 490. So 491, we can stop, right? Missing the point. 
dramatically. You know, like what about the person, Father, that, I mean, God, that Jesus, that I, you know, we, we've, we've tried to help, we've tried to serve, we've given to, you know, like we've given and given and given, and, and they take and they take and they take, but they never reciprocate. Them? We limit. <laughs> we put limits, but we put limits on everything. We put limits on, how much do you want me to give to the church? Oh, that was part of the law. Oh, oh yeah, that was part of the law. I mean, how much? Like, really? Like, what's the... The thing that we, I hope we'll see today is, the good news is, God is limitless toward us, isn't he? He doesn't hold anything back. I mean, if he did, I mean, who, who more would have the right to do that? But he doesn't. So we need to see it like this. When Jesus says, go and love your neighbor as yourself, I believe he means literally, take care of your neighbor with all of the effort, time, and resources that you would when you were looking after your own needs. There's no limits to that. You there? I'm not. I need help. Do you need help with this? Well, it's here. Let's keep going. So that's number one. That's the call. We're called to this. We are with no limits. We're called to this. Number two is the heart. Jesus replied... A man, here's the parable, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so without hesitation, Jesus goes, well, let me tell you a story. This is a lesson. There's a point to this lesson, and there's one point to this lesson, as in all of Jesus' parables. And it's intended to answer the lawyer's question. So notice we have a man who's traveling to Jericho, downhill from Jerusalem. Now, Jesus specifically chose this road, the the road downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho, because it was known in that culture in that day to be extremely dangerous. Like, you only took that road if you were, A, in a hurry to get to Jericho, and B, felt like you could look after yourself, because it was a dangerous road. There were robbers on this road. It was known. And so Jesus purposely picks this. This man falls into an ambush of robbers, who strip him, beat him, take all of his possessions, leaving him for as important note, as good as dead. Not dead yet, but as good as dead. And so we've already read the rest of the story, so let me just recap. He's lying there, dying, and the scripture actually says, by chance, right? Um, On the same road comes a priest. Now the priest come by, and the priest sees the man, the word saw him, And when the priest sees him, he goes, "Mm, nope. And he goes across the road, down the other way, and he completely avoids the man. Well, right after him, a Levite comes, and same thing. He sees the man, sees the condition in. He's in, he goes, nope, not going to happen. And he goes around the other side and just bypasses the man. They saw him, which literally means they saw his condition And as a result, they decided not to get involved. Now, that's why I kind of highlighted the idea that he's half dead, because let's let's cut them some slack, right? They they may have said, well, he's not dead yet, which means the robbers could be nearby. So for me to stop and actually care for this man, which I should do, because I know the laws of God. I'm a Levite. I'm a priest. I know. I know. For you should love the Lord your God with all your, your neighbor. I know this, but, you know, this this could cost me my life. So they avoid it because it's a great risk. 
It's the ultimate risk. It could cost me my life. But you know what happens next, right? Yes. The hero of the story arrives. The Samaritan. So honestly, I, I would pay good money to see the lawyer's face at this time. <laughs> there are times when I, I honestly, like, I try to go back so that we can understand the context. But I, I would love to go back and just be sitting there looking at this guy as Jesus is telling the story and this guy going, a Samaritan? <laughs> you put a Samaritan in this story. Really? I think we need to understand that so far we've seen this. Three eminent leaders in the Jewish faith are in the story. There's the lawyer, there's the priest, and there's the Levite. These are, these are the men who are responsible for upholding the law and the operations of the synagogue in the Jewish faith. The other thing we need to understand is, is that their biggest enemy, the people they hated most in the world, were Samaritans. I don't want to pick on a people group today. I'm not going to mention it. But, boy, prejudices haven't gone away, have they? So this is awesome so far, right? What does the Samaritan do? The one whom the lawyer would dislike the most in this story? Well, he does what he should be doing, what we should all be doing. He is the one who obviously loved God and loved his neighbor as he intended. And it came from a heart after God. It says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, look at these words, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man who was half dead on the road, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So whatever he knew about the law of God, it had gone from here to here. Clearly because he put his own life at risk. But there's more than that, right? He went to him. He poured out his best, and he showed compassion on him. Look at the next verses. It says, He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, a week's worth of money required to look after this man, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Were there any limits on this? No limits. Unconditional. When I come back, whatever you spend on this man, I will repay you. So he went, look at this. He poured out his best, his wine, on this man. Put him on his donkey, took him to an inn to take care of him, and sparing no expense again, he left enough money with the innkeeper to take care of him. This is a good Samaritan, isn't it? It's where we get the story. It's where we get the definition. And so we see the heart that's required. It's not just the knowledge. It's got to go here. It's got to be our heart. Number three for us today is the way. So Jesus says to him, verse 36 and 37, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, I mean, what else could he say? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Simple story, right? It's pretty simple. So let's look very carefully at this word for word because this is where we find out what is truly going on in this whole story. So interesting. 
Jesus asks him, which of these three? So that's, that's the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, right? And, and interesting that Jesus says, do you think? Using your intellect and your human reasoning and referring back to how do you read it earlier, he's appealing to this man's intellect and reasoning. But again, he, he, he wants the answer to come from here because he wants the man to understand this story. He wants to get to his heart. The next word is key. Proved. Proved to be a good neighbor. Which one of these? Which one proved to be a neighbor? Not act like a neighbor. Hey, guys, listen, it's it's easy to go down to the east side of Vancouver. We used to see people all the time coming down and want to be part of Union Gospel Mission, feeding the homeless, and they'd come down and give a couple of hours. It's easy to act like a good Samaritan. Amen? There's a big difference between acting like that and being one. And that's why I think every one of us can humbly admit today we're not the good neighbors that we should be. We're struggling. We're struggling. The answer is so obvious, isn't it? Even he, the lawyer, got it. It's the one who showed mercy. So let's keep looking here because we've not seen it all yet, have we? Have you figured this out yet? Do we know exactly where this is going yet? So there are three men who are named in this story, right? There's the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. They're named. Now, not by name, but by title. Their name. So on the surface, they're the main characters. But there's one more person in the story, right? He's the unnamed man, the anonymous person in the story. So who might he really be, do you think? Well, let me put it to you this way. On a quick reading, I think most people would read this, and I'm pretty sure the lawyer did it first. Um, they would read this, and they might miss that the lawyer is also in this parable, Right? Because it's a story trying to show him his own heart and show him who, in fact, he is. And the question is, do you think that the lawyer got it? Do you get it? Do I get it when we read this story? Well, here's what he may have thought, and you might have as well. He probably thought that Jesus was saying something to him like this. You're just like the priest and the Levite. Since you're a lawyer, you're part of their tribe. You're just like them. You're Jewish. You would have done exactly what they did saw the man cross the other side of the road, let him die. You want eternal life? Go and be a good Samaritan. Do you think he might have thought that was the moral of the story? Right? He could have taken it that way. And that's actually how moralists take the story today. And that's why and when this parable is often taken to mean and be all about social justice or being a good person or being a good Christian. So please hear me. I want to make sure I'm completely heard properly here today. Social justice is good. Amen? It's good. It's not the point of this story. It might be an application, but it's not the point. So I think the the truth is the lawyer would have easily identified with the priest and the Levite. But Jesus was actually wanting him to see that he's neither of those two. He's the man on the road. He's the half-dead man in this story. And a Samaritan. 
was a good neighbor to him. Do you see that? That's what Jesus wanted him to see. He's the one who desperately needed compassion. He needs it right now. He's getting it from Jesus. And frankly, to be saved because he was being left for dead. Now, if the lawyer is the man, and he is, then who is the one who proved to be the neighbor who showed him mercy in this story? Do you think? You know, the Bible teaches us that there's none good, but one, one who showed mercy, who proved to be the good neighbor. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus has come to save this half-dead lawyer. You and I are the downtrodden, the broken and the beaten, the half-dead Right? Alive physically but spiritually dead. When Jesus saw us, he came to us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? To help us, to heal us, pouring out his own blood, wine, to save us, and then take us to a place where we could be cared for, cared for here, the church, nurtured and made fully alive again. So let me close this morning with this. Two questions. Would you like to be able to say, I really do love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul? Would you like to be able to say that? Like, really say that? Secondly, would you like to be able to say and be seen to be loving your neighbor as yourself this way? Would you not want that? I would hope so. I'm sure you probably do. Would you like to truly practice good neighboring? Well, I have good news for you. Just like the lawyer in the story, here's the good news. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're like, wait, wait, wait. wait. That's good news? Yeah. It's very good news because you do know the good news, I hope. And that is that Jesus came to this world to come near to us, to live the perfect life that you and I cannot live, right? So that in his death, burial, and resurrection, he could provide you the forgiveness of your sins, adoption as children of God, and eternal life so that, here's where it gets even better, so that he can give his life to you so that he can live his life in you and through you. And so that you will no longer be half dead, but be fully alive. Here's the catch. You need to die fully to yourself, to your your thinking that you can save yourself, that you can do this. None of us can. That's really good news. But he can do it. He did it. And he can do it in us and through us. And as a result of that, you and I can be made fully alive and we can go and be good neighbors. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you once again for your word, for the word of God.
Thank you for what this teaches us. Lord, we do want to be people who love you with all of our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, with our all. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We are desperately weak in these areas. (laughs) Uh, We are so distracted by this life and by this world and the things around us, and sometimes by by our own um, intellect and knowledge and thoughts about life and the way it should be. Oh, Father, I pray that you would just help each one of us. We so desperately need your help so that we can love you and, and respond to you and abide in your love in the way that you love us unconditionally all the time in every way. And Father, we pray that, um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the mission that you've given to your church, which, which is to be a people who are good neighbors, truly good neighbors, We need your help. I need your help. And Father, we we confess, we we cannot do this without you, without your help. And so Father, I just pray that you would bless us this morning as we go to communion. I pray, I pray especially as we, um, we read this prayer of confession before communion this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray you would bless us as we break bread together as a family, recognizing that this is how close you came to us when we were broken and on the road. You poured out everything for us, Jesus. And so we thank you in your worthy name. Amen. So I want to do something very different with you today. Normally we go into prayer before communion this morning, or at this time. I'm going to put a um, liturgical prayer up on screen, and I want you to read it with me out loud. Even at first, you may read it and go, I I don't know if I can say that with all my heart. (laughs) It's okay. Read it out loud. This was actually shown during a worship service at Multiply a couple of weeks ago, and it was part of the liturgy of the worship where, you know, we come to a time where we want to confess and we want to repent. Church, please, let's do this today. Let's do that this week. Let's do this every day. This is what we need to do more than anything else right now as a church. So I want to read with you. I'll lead you out. And then would you please read with me these words as we pray before communion this morning. Read with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and left undone, we have not loved you with all our hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.